Malta was once a hidden gem in the Mediterranean, but now it's being discovered more and more by North Americans. And that means it's diverse and offers something for everyone. You can scuba dive to explore sunken ships, eat traditional Maltese foods like pastizzi, a flaky pastry filled with ricotta cheese, visit one of three UNESCO World Heritage Sites, and so much more. Plus, Malta gets more than 300 days of sunshine, so it's a year-round destination. Get inspired and plan your trip today at visitmalta.com. Are you looking for an off-the-beaten-path island destination in the Mediterranean? I highly recommend Malta, an archipelago with 8,000 years of history. It's home to three UNESCO World Heritage Sites, including Valletta, Malta's capital. Malta also has the oldest freestanding stone architecture in the world, showcasing one of the British Empire's most formidable defense systems. If you travel for history, Malta has an impressive mix of domestic, religious, and military structures from the ancient, medieval, and early modern periods. It's also rich in culture. You'll find events and festivals all year round, plus beautiful beaches, a thriving nightlife, and a trendy gastronomical scene with seven Michelin-starred restaurants. Plan your trip today at visitmalta.com. Hey everyone, and welcome to Travel Tales, a podcast from Afar Media. I'm your host, Senior Editor Aislinn Green, and for the past six years, I've had the pleasure of working with some of the most creative and interesting people in the world. Comedians, philosophers, novelists, they've all shared their stories with Afar's readers about getting out into the world and just reveling in it. And now, each week on Travel Tales, we'll hear from some of our favorite contributors about a trip that changed their life. In this episode, we meet Sally Cohn. Sally is a political activist and commentator, you may have seen her on CNN, and a frequent contributor to Afar. She's whip-smart, funny, and hands down one of Afar's most enthusiastic writers. She's also very attuned to injustice, which made her take on Amsterdam so fascinating. I know that I've always considered the Dutch capital to be a really open and tolerant place, I'm sure you know why. But Sally discovered that beneath all that supposed tolerance, there is a more complicated truth. First of all, true confessions. When I heard I was going to Amsterdam, I thought it was in Brussels. Geography is hard for me. Also, I'd assumed on my spin the globe trip that Afar would send me somewhere complicated. Like a post-genocidal nation. Or Texas. But in retrospect, my theory is the nice editors at Afar thought I needed a vacation. A break from all the political tensions in which I'm usually embroiled in the United States. So they tried to send me somewhere uncomplicated. Except for the small detail that I didn't know where Amsterdam was. And didn't realize how complicated it actually is. So a few days before my trip, when I stopped looking in Brussels' book at my local bookstore, I learned that Amsterdam is famous for its bicycles and its cheese. I like both those things. So awesome! 
Plus, there was what I already knew about Amsterdam, that it was famously liberally tolerant. Legal weed, legal prostitution, legal rights for same-sex couples. I also like tolerance, so I packed my bags, ready to indulge. Maybe not so much indulge in the weed and prostitution, but definitely in the overall vibe of tolerance, plus biking and cheese. Afar sent me to Amsterdam just before Christmas, and one of the first things I encountered was an insanely racist Christmas tradition called Svartepeet, or Black Pete. Svartepeet is a Christmas character where a white person in blackface accompanies Santa Claus and helps hand out presents. That's it. I'm not clear on why it's such an important tradition, or why it couldn't be done by a white person not in blackface or a person of color. But in a country where 60% of people identify as non-religious, Svartepeet is defended as a central, vital, religious tradition. I pedaled my bike to a weekend farmer's market near the Nordkirk Church to meet up with an American expat friend. We drank buttermilk, which, incidentally, the Dutch swear by, and I swear is the most disgusting thing I've ever drank. He tried to explain to me that while Svartepeet is obviously racist to us, the Dutch think of racism as an American invention. While it's true that the global understanding of race and racism is largely centered around and framed through the United States experience, saying Americans invented racism is sort of like saying the people who first started explicitly arguing about water are the people who invented water. That's not the same thing. Also, we need to remember that the Netherlands played a disproportionate role in the abduction and enslavement of African people. This tiny country was responsible for 5 to 7% of the Atlantic slave trade. Through its Dutch West India Company, the Netherlands profited massively off of slavery and colonization. But Americans invented racism, sure. Times are thankfully changing, and there are more protests against Svartepeet, from Dutch folks of color and also Dutch white folks. But there's also a widespread backlash against the protests and a robust defense of Svartepeet from a supposedly tolerant populace who can't seem to tolerate confronting its past. Or, for that matter, it's present. During my trip, I met up with Tofik Dibi, one of the Netherlands' leading Muslim political leaders who I'd met on Twitter. We had dinner at a popular Surinamese restaurant along the waterfront. Suriname is a former Dutch colony and epicenter of the Dutch colonial plantation economy. It was Amsterdam that financed Surinamese slave plantations, and Amsterdam that profited off refining and consuming the sugar and coffee produced through unpaid enslaved labor. Tofik said to me, tolerance is the Netherlands' main export, but it's an illusion, or a delusion. He talked about how before September 11th, he wasn't really seen as Muslim, but ever since, he faces constant scrutiny and even hate. It's a sentiment I'd heard repeated by Muslim friends and leaders in the United States, but not one I expected to hear in this famously tolerant and liberal country. Tufik told me, I constantly need to prove I'm not plotting something. Later, I rode my bike to a gorgeous organic restaurant in the middle of an urban greenhouse and ate some cheese, among other things. On the way, I stopped in Oosterpark, near the heart of one of the city's main immigrant neighborhoods, to see the Netherlands Slavery Memorial. The memorial is a sculpture of bronze figures, at first tiny, hunched, shackled figures who seem to lean with equal parts ache and yearning forward 
There's a winged arch in the middle of the statue, and then on the other side, the bronze figures are not only unshackled and upright, but visibly, markedly taller and lankier. I couldn't help but wonder if this was a conscious choice to represent the freed slaves not only as standing tall, but also as more Dutch-like, approximating the supermodelly blonde men and women who all have perfect posture on their bikes and perfect legs to match. Tolerance, but on whose terms? On my way out of the park, I passed another monument. This one is a memorial to Theo van Gogh, who was murdered after making a film that many saw not just as a critique of Islam, but as a politically motivated Islamophobic tyrant. Van Gogh's murder by a Dutch-Moroccan Muslim man was horrific and tragic. But Van Gogh is memorialized largely as a martyr figure among the European far right who see in his death confirmation of the righteousness of the anti-Islam mission of his life. The proximity of these two monuments is jarring. A statue against discrimination and the subjugation of African people, just yards from a memorial to a man best known for making the case for discrimination against Muslims who, in the Netherlands, are often of African descent. The contradictions of Amsterdam captured in a few turns the wheels of my bike. Tolerance is a complicated concept. When a lot of travelers think of Amsterdam, they think of legal weed. But it turns out cannabis retail sales in Amsterdam aren't technically legal. I had coffee with a local, a friend of a friend. She told me that what are called coffee shops are actually weed shops. Though I swear, we had actual coffee in an actual cafe. But about these coffee shops, she said, technically they can't sell marijuana. But they're allowed to anyway. And then with a shrug... She added, it's tolerated. Tolerance not as some affirmative, but some muddled gray area. Complex, complicated, smoky. At the end of my trip, I went to a cheese shop to buy stocking stuffers for my family. There were wheels of cheese everywhere. Honestly, I have no idea what set them apart other than the color. So I bought some light yellow and some dark yellow, both of which tasted lovely, though I'd be hard-pressed to pinpoint the difference. And then back on the street, I marveled at the subtle shades all around me. The gay couple I passed kissing on the street. The memorial to the gay people killed in the Holocaust and persecuted throughout history. The legalized prostitution on the blocks in between. But also the fact that everyone around me was white. Shades of tolerance? In the United States, I'd come to think of tolerance as a linear progression. I'd always envisioned those brimming with hate based on race, gender, or sexuality bunched together at one end of the spectrum, and then everyone else, haltingly, imperfectly, but progressively, moving toward enlightenment at the other end. But definitely a progression, an either-or. But in Amsterdam, I understood how things there and perhaps everywhere are more complicated, nuanced, spun around, or maybe just round. Openly gay politicians were rabidly anti-Muslim. Defenders of blackface were enthusiastically smoking pot. Amsterdam was neither enlightened nor closed-minded, but constantly shifting. Not progressing along a line, but simultaneously occupying multiple points on a circle. Like a wheel of cheese. 
or maybe spokes on a bike. Constantly turning. That was Sally Cohn. In recent months, she's been working with the organization One Fair Wage. And one of the main things it does is advocate for tipped workers to get full minimum wage with tips on top. She's also been spending a lot of time with her 11-year-old daughter. They made a very cool Instagram story together for TED Education. You can see the video and learn more about One Fair Wage on Instagram at Sally Cohn. Ready for more travel stories? Visit us online at afar.com slash travel tales. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at Afar Media. If you enjoyed today's adventure, we hope you'll come back next week for more great stories. Subscribing makes this easy. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And please be sure to rate and review us. It helps other travelers find the show. This has been Travel Tales a production of Afar Media and Boom Integrated. Our podcast was produced by Aislinn Green, Adrian Glover, and Robin Lai. Post-production was by John Marshall Media staff Jen Grossman and Clint Rhodes. Music composition by Alan Koresha. And a special thanks to Laura Redmond, Sarah Storm, and Irene Wang. I'm Aislinn Green, your zoomed-out, under-traveled host. I can't wait to hit the road again. Until we all freely can, remember that travel begins the moment we walk out our front door. Everyone has a travel tale. What's yours?